Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Colorado Show. Uh, it is February 25th. It's our last show in the month of February. It's our third show overall, and we're excited about it today. We've got a lot of great, great content. We're going to be talking about the border. We're going to be talking about the kids. We've got a couple great guests, and uh, but I am joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Todd Watkins. What's up, Todd? You're muted. You're muted. You're still muted. I'm muted. I am no longer muted. Uh, hello, Colorado and everywhere else. And uh, we've this is our third, the lucky three. And I think it means that we no longer have to buy our uh, ho- our guests dinner, right? Now that we've uh, passed the third know. show. I don't know if that I don't know if that's what that means. No. Um, I, now should. you made me hungry. <laughs> um, all right. So we've got. Uh, do, well, I'm gonna. You know what? We're gonna just. We're gonna do one of these. You're in the driver's seat here as uh, as we bring on our first guest. And our first topic that we're going to talk about is the border. Uh, Todd, why don't you introduce our, de- our guest and we'll bring him up. So uh, it's John Fabricatori, who is uh, also running for Congressional District 6 here in Colorado. And uh, he is a former ICE ERO field operations director. And uh, bring him in, and I'll, we'll let him explain exactly what that meant. But ICE ERO is kind of the second half of the immigration pipeline from where it begins at the border itself with uh, with my former colleagues in uh, the U.S. Border Patrol. And here's John. John, say hello to all the nice people. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks a lot for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course, yeah, thank man. You- Thank you so much for being here. Um, do you want to give give the audience a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I spent 30 years with the government. I'm a United States Air Force veteran. Uh, upon getting out of the Air Force, uh, I first got hired by Federal Protective Service, worked the first World Trade Center bombing trial, and then the uh, Oklahoma City bombing trial. Made it into INS in about 1998. Transitioned over to ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement. Spent a couple of years teaching at the academy. Came back to Denver as a supervisor for fugitive operations, moved up the ranks in ERO. And like Todd was saying a little bit earlier, you know, ERO, uh, enforcement removal operations, like that, that that second part. So we really do a lot of the immigration on the interior of the United States, and we also do the detention and deportation uh, part of that. So uh, continue to move up the ranks to assistant field office director, deputy field office director, and then finally uh, the field office director in 2020. And I retired in 2022 as a senior executive uh, field office director. Nice. So and uh, in in full disclosure, I believe we met back in circa 2018 or 2019 at Special Operations Command North down here in uh, Colorado Springs area where I where I live. And uh, you came in to uh, discuss what uh, goodness, I guess we'll say, uh, ERO could uh, provide to the uh, military mission in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I was very big on Intel uh, during my career. I I took over the Intel unit as an assistant field office director. And when we met, I had I had just become a a deputy field office director and was really trying to build the uh, field intelligence unit that I that I had put together and uh, really thought we had some some good things that we could bring to the table, uh, you know, uh, for intelligence and and. You know, moving forward, we really worked with a lot of the fusion centers, uh, really looking at, you know, what's coming into the U.S. and how can we use that intelligence, especially, you know, having a detention center where we can go in and interview people. You know, it was very important to us to find out, okay, these people are coming into the U.S., they're illegally present. What other information might they have that could protect the United States? 
and, and that was a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, counter terrorism and uh, counter transnational criminal organizations. So the counter cartel type intelligence yes. that that we were working on there. And so, speaking of the border and all things immigration, since we are in the throes of an immigration crisis, I guess is a a good safe way to to put that that everybody can understand. And since you're running for Congress, what exactly does Congress need to do right now in order for the president, Joe Biden, to uh, to enforce law along the border? Well, well, honestly, Todd, I don't think the Congress really needs to do much of anything. I, I'm a big believer that the Immigration Nationality Act is pretty good law. I mean, what we can do with it right now, if we actually enforce that law, we could end a lot of the problems that we have now. Now, of course, there are some minor tweaks and some other things that we have to do to to make deportations a little bit easier to, uh, you know, be, be able to allow the Border Patrol to do their job a little bit better. But really, the laws are already on the books. I mean, you know, we, we have, you know, 212. We got 235. There's a lot of different yeah. things inside the law that allow us to do our job. It's just letting them let us do the job it's, you know so so the, the presidency executive he's just got to say hey look we're going to enforce the law as it's written in the ina and we were we were kind of doing it already and then suddenly somewhere around january 20th of 2021 all that ended so would you agree then that this the hue and cry from the democrat side of the aisle that congress needs to act in order for the uh for for the border patrol or CBP and ICE to enforce uh, border security and immigration law is just, it's a, it's kind of a red herring. It, the, the laws are already there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the one thing that Congress can do, I mean, because they control the purse strings, the, the purse strings is, is to be able to give more money to ICE in order to uh, fund more detention beds, uh, fund more deportation flights, fund more border patrol agents, fund more ICE agents. That's the one thing that they can do. But, I mean, the law is there. They, there's really not a lot of big changes that need to be made to the law. Like I said, there, there's definitely some fine tuning. But if we took the law as it's written now, we could do, uh, you know, we could do what we need to do in securing the border. So can, can I can I jump in real quick? Because I want to dig into sure. that a little bit. You've both you both have a, a background in, uh, you know, customs, border patrol enforcement, um, immigration. For those of us who don't. You keep referring to both of you, and Todd does this all the time, uh, keep referring to, well, the law is there. The law exists. We have the authorities already within the law. Can you explain right. for the audience a little bit more about what what does the law allow to happen right now? Um, you know, you mentioned some statutes and things, mm -hmm. but I think for most of us, you know, kind of goes over the head. Can you, we dig into a little bit more about what? Yeah. What, what do we have? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let, let, let's go back a few years, first off, to 1996 when ERA IRA was, was signed, the Immigration uh, Readjustment Act. And that was signed under President Clinton and by in a bipartisan effort uh, to really secure the border. Democrats ran on border enforcement in the 90s. Uh, and, and that law was signed to to allow more enforcement of the border. It allowed us to have a little bit more on worksite enforcement. That means going out there and uh, pulling those I-9s and making sure people were, were legally working. It allowed for or more, more detention aspects. Um, it, it just allowed uh, it allowed um, officers, agents, the Border Patrol, uh, ERO 
to just do their job a little bit better and 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 be able to take the immigration law, put it into effect, be able to detain people, be able to have uh, the proper hearings that were needed, and then uh, deport and remove people at the end of that process. Uh, now that's held up a lot because y- you know. As we arrest people, we only have about 33,000 beds that this administration is currently using. That's really not a lot of detention space when you think about how many people have come over the border in the last three years. And the reason that they're allowing so many people to come in is in order to process these people and allow them to have a credible fear hearing, historically, in the past, we would have put them into custody if they claimed asylum, if they entered illegally and claimed asylum and they would have had a credible fear hearing and they would have seen an immigration judge and the determination would have been made if they had an affirmative claim to asylum if they had an affirmative claim to asylum then they would have been bond they would have bonded out and been able to enter the interior of the u.s until their uh, asylum uh, was all the way through but what's happening now is they're just making a quick claim at the border they're being quickly processed quickly vetted and allowed to enter the U.S. and their hearing isn't, you know, seven to ten years down the road, uh, which which causes a lot of problems. So, you know, historically, we would have put them into custody, and they, if they didn't have an affirmative claim, they would have been deported. So Under it, I, and well, we I, would process them as an expedited removal. Yes, those those border entries. So within seventy two within seventy two hours and hundred miles of the border. Right. So that would have been two under two thirty five. They would have they would have entered if they yep. would have made a legal entry. Yeah. So you mentioned, and this might not be a question for you guys, because, you know, this is more judiciary, I think. But in terms of their hearing, their, you know, going before the court seven to 10 years out, we've heard this a bunch. You know, they're getting court dates in, in 2030. What's driving that, do you think? Is it is it purely political, as I think most of us ex- expect? Or is there, um, you know, such significant backlog that that's a realistic time frame for these people to come before a court? Do you have any sense of what's driving that timing? Yeah, it's it's again twofold. It's a you know there are so many compound issues with, with everything that that's going on. So you have a detained docket and you have a non-detained docket. The, the the detained docket has to be seen first because they are in detention, right? And so everyone that comes in into this country has a right to a fair and speedy, a uh, fast and speedy trial, right? That, you know, so they they can't be sitting in custody for seven years waiting to see an immigration judge. So those those uh, detentions are, are uh, anyone who's in detention is going to be seen first. Then you've got your non-detained docket, the people who are not in custody and are going to be able to see those immigration judge. Well, the non-detained docket right now is sitting at about six million cases. And we have about, I think, 700 immigration judges in the United States right now. And those are split up between non-detained docket and detained docket. So I'm not sure where the numbers play out on those, but say it was 300 and 300, you know, or, or 350 and 350, 350 for the detained, 350 for non-detained. How long do you think it would take 350 judges to go through 6 million cases? a long time right so i mean that's where that's where part of, of of the issue is but again under the law and, and and todd knows this there's a lot of places where administratively we are able to remove somebody without them seeing an immigration judge uh you know whether it's a you know they've been a prior deport they come into our custody that order's already been signed by a judge we're, we're, we're able to remove them uh you know if, if someone comes in on a visa waiver program and, you know, something happens, we, we can remove them without them seeing a judge. I mean, there's there are other there are places within the law administratively where 
where people can be removed uh, and not see an immigration judge. But again, millions of those cases are going in front of a, a small uh, amount of judges, and that's why the time. And also what's happening is really these cases are only out to about three to five to six years, right? But they're going to get an attorney, and an attorney is going to ask for a continuance. And then they're going to get in front of a judge and they're probably going to ask for another continuance because a lot of these immigration attorneys know the longer they play these cases out, they're hoping for a favorable administration to be uh, under their purview when the case comes forward. So if we have a change in administration in, the, in this next year and it's a Republican administration, a lot of those immigration judges are going to try to push those cases until they have an, a favorable administration in, in order to, uh, you know, have that cur that that case heard under so can we let's go back to the credible fear claim because i mm -hmm. i think credible fear and then parole and i'll let you unpack all that that's really what's driving this right now that's really if you had to find the kind of the active ingredient in this crisis it's somewhere in that world of the credible the claim of credible fear and then parole because back mm -hmm. in the old days um when when border patrol would arrest uh, illegal aliens who'd illegally entered entry without inspection we would write them up after about 2003 or 2004 we were writing them all for what's called an expedited removal and that goes mm -hmm. to what you were talking about there are ways to remove people without having a an immigration hearing and that was one of them he said under under 235 we would just i as a watch commander would sign that expedited removal and then you guys over there in ice ero would pretty much just remove them whether repatriate them back to wherever they came from but with the uh the credible fear claim there was a change in the uh, asylum policies right that mm -hmm. allowed for a lot more of that to happen and then that triggers the parole the abuse what i would argue is the abuse of the parole discretion uh that mayorkas is uh wielding. yeah i i agree so so what happens is if if you go in front of an asylum officer and you don't have an affirmative claim you can still ask to see an immigration judge um, at that point in time, because of detention space or, you know, they're, they're going to say, you know, we need to keep moving these people forward. They will probably parole them into the U.S. at that point in time. And, uh, you know, that's what we were seeing happen at the border, you know, much of last year is we were just seeing them. And, you know, they weren't I don't even think some of them were seeing we're getting in front of a, a, an asylum hearing. Asylum, they, were just, right? yeah, they were just paroling them in and then they were giving them a a. Not even a notice to appear. It was a a a, a notice to like just show up at a, at an yes. ICE office to further their processing. It wasn't even a proper NTA because they hadn't been uh, in an NTA as a notice to appear. Um, you know, it had it wasn't even a, a full processing that they were getting. So they were telling uh, telling them, hey, wherever the next location you're going to show up, just show up at an ICE office, and ERO will finish your processing, and then we'll go from there. And, uh, you know, what we were finding out is that a lot of people were just going into the interior and not showing up at an ICE office. Surprise. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, that was happening. So when Border Patrol encounters these people, we process them and we'll check the box. Do you do you uh, do you have a fear of returning to your to your home country? And they'll, they're all saying yes now. Right. So then to clarify, the next part of this would be they would leave the border patrol station and go to an ERO facility somewhere mm -hmm. geographically uh, near where the encounter was. And at that facility, the, uh, the asylum officer would hear their claim of credible fear. Right. And it used to be 
that in order to claim asylum, one had to demonstrate some within some plausibility that they were in fear for their life because of their political affiliation, their religious affiliation, uh, their ethnic, their, their ethnicity, somewhere along the lines of what most people would consider to be called political asylum. Now that bar has been lowered tremendously, I, and I believe it was Obama that did this, to essentially, I don't want to go back home because it really sucks there. Yeah, and I, and that and that's okay. Sure, I mean a judge will make the final determination because they still have to go through the removal process right. and plead their case before a judge. But this is just the it's the get out of ERO detention free. And with Border Patrol now doing what we're calling street releases, I assure you they didn't have an asylum hearing because there are no asylum officers in Border Patrol stations. Right. So. I don't, it is, it's my, the way I see this, I don't see ERO actually playing much of a role hands-on, boots on the ground at all, because it seems that Border Patrol, we're just processing them quickly. Some of these people, we're only doing, and I'm going to use a, a real jargonistic term here that no one's going to understand, a scratch 213, mm -hmm. and putting them on a bus and sending them to the NGO camps. So, I know you've been you've been studying this and following it. So, tell people what role the NGOs are playing in in all of this uh, this process flow. Yeah, an unbelievable role in making money. Uh, you know, I, I am I am highly uh, suspect of many of the NGO organizations, uh, even some of the religious ones. Uh, and the amount of money that it, that these NGOs are making. Um, and, and what I've seen with my own eyes is they are just it's a revolving door. They they just want to get more illegal immigrants in because that's a number that they're giving to the government and they're getting paid for. I mean, they're they're spending money on services, but also people are, are you know, in those NGO organizations are making millions of dollars. Ash, so, go. Um yeah, so Nine News, uh, our good our good friends over at Nine News, who are so dedicated to telling the truth to the people of Colorado, they have fact-checked the claim that migrants are getting $5,000 gift cards, like, at least twice now. They've written fact-checks on this. And it's, you know, CBP and ICE are not giving gift cards to any migrants. Mm -hmm. That's basically what the fact-check says. Yeah. But it it's... It, I think is an intentional omission of the role because it, it's, it's not a direct exchange uh, of money. It's no. flowing through NGOs. And I agree with you. I mean, I think the, the, some of the religious organizations, um, it, we, we covered Todd and I covered the, um, journey, you know, the journey through the Darien gap and you've got the UN selling condoms and plan B right next to Catholic charities. And they're all enabling everybody to go into the gap together. Yeah, right. So, yeah, one hundred percent. You're right. Yeah, you're you're one hundred percent right. So you know, Nine News loves to do this, right? So they they go, oh, well, it's not ICE and CBP, so it's wrong. No, it's never been ICE. ICE and CDP, CBP do not issue credit cards. That's not what we do. But our government is paying NGOs millions and millions. Of, I'm talking hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, in order to to. Uh, uh, give access to these illegal immigrants as they come in and, and, and provide services to them. What these NGOs do with that money is, is up to them. 
And if they're putting money on cards and giving it to these illegal aliens, that's the NGOs doing this. Because, again, what they want to do is they want to get them out the door and they want the next, you know, name in there to fill a bed so they can say, hey, we've processed through 20,000. This is this, you know, this is the money that you need to pay us. So an easy, fast way for them to get out the door is to put money in their pocket and send them out on the street. And, and that's that's exactly what they're doing. And then you make a good point because the volume, right? We've processed 20,000. We've processed 50,000 people. That's directly tied to the funding that they're getting exactly. from the federal yeah. and state governments, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So one, one last question, and then I think we got we to gotta let John talk about his, his run for, uh, for, for Congress, right? So I've heard and seen in media uh, people claiming, well, these people are legally present now. They've been processed and released. So please yeah. dispel that yeah. myth let's let's get into that and and you know better todd because i mean you, you know you spent a career w working the border a daca uh, is not a legal standing either well, no but it, to it, be it, fair todd may, todd may know better and i think i'd like to think that i know better but the majority of the country is being bombarded with oh, welcome yeah. the new people messaging yeah. meanwhile you know people are being raped and murdered all over the place from from releasing these people into the interior but they're not legally present so no no but a, a lot that. of these a lot of these left-leaning media organizations love to push out that narrative and that's what a lot of people on the left uh love the parrot and i'm constantly combating it on, on x i spent a lot of time on, on x uh just just trying to get the truth out and get the right information out so so when someone enters the country illegally even if they claim asylum they're not here legally when we do what's called a notice to appear in front of an immigration judge, we're going to give them a notice to appear and we're going to give them a warrant of arrest as part of their their their. Like Todd talked about the 213, the, the uh, 213 is, is a form that we fill out. It's got all their biographical information. 213 is one of the first things we do. It, it, it lists how they entered the United States. If you entered outside of a port of entry and you entered illegally under 212A6AI, of uh, uh, of uh, you know the the of uh, eight eight USC, you entered illegally. That is what goes on your notice to appear. You are present in the United States illegally, but because we didn't have detention space and couldn't put you in detention, this government has allowed you to enter the United States until you can have your hearing in front of an immigration judge or until you can have your credible if you didn't get the credible fear hearing at the border until you can have your credible fear hearing so no they are not here legally they're still kind of knocking at the door on the border i know that's how we always used to explain it to our agents you know they technically you know they haven't real they haven't made an entry they haven't made a legal entry so their form is filled out as illegal entry so if, when they go in front of an immigration judge and an and an immigration judge finds that asylum claim not to be affirmative not to be a good asylum claim they are removed as an illegal alien not as someone who entered legally they're removed as an illegal alien so yes their status unless they entered through a port of entry and even if they entered through a port of entry we were talking about you know uh, uh, 235 section 235 they're still going to be you know removed as somebody who, who came up to the port, didn't have a, a means to enter the U.S., but asked for asylum. They came in through a legal entry at, that, at, the, at the port. But if they came in around the port, it's illegal. So a lot of these people that are here in Denver, you hear the left or, you know, people on the left say, well, they're here legally. You got to leave them alone. 
No, they're not here legally. They're actually here illegally, but awaiting an asylum hearing. And 85% of those asylum hearings are going to be found to be fraudulent. Well, and so we've, we've shown the videos before. I think this was in Arizona where they're, you know, citizen journalists are interviewing mm -hmm. the migrants and they believe they're here legally. And they yeah. say people who are here legally can vote. Yep. Right. So, yeah. so if, so, so let, let's play that out. Right. Um, they're here. That was actually in Denver. The, yeah. Was it in Denver? Yeah. yeah it was in a parking lot. So they believe, yeah. Yeah. So they believe they're here legally. They, mm -hmm. uh, we know that they are registering anybody onto the rolls who wants to be onto the rolls. There are no checks for citizenship in our voter roll management process here. Any clerk, ask any clerk, they mm -hmm. will tell you. The, the sex state might might dis dispute what I'm saying, but if you ask the clerks in practicality how this shows up in real life, they are not allowed to ask and they don't ask. Right. So there's no block on that. Then it comes down to, let's say uh, after an election, we prove that they you know, voted uh, in uh, in violation of our laws here. Well, you know, it was they thought they they thought they were legal. And, right. you know, if you're here legally, you can vote and all these things. And then, you know, plausible deniability, slap on the wrist, keep them on the voter rolls, send them a mail in ballot. Uh, everybody welcome the new people. That's where it's going. I'm sorry to go on a rant, but uh, let's hear about <laughs> why you're running for Congress. Yeah. So, you do you have a primary challenger? I, I, I don't at, at right this on. time. So, you know, it's going to be, uh, you know, I mean, I'm going through the whole thing and, and uh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll be at assembly. I, I'm not using signatures to to, cool. to get on. Uh, I believe in letting the will of the, you know, the people decide whether I should be the challenger to uh, to Democrat Crow. And, uh, you know, so, so listen, so, so I, you know, I retired. I, I spent 30 years serving the government. I've been serving the government since I'm 18 years old. Um, I was at the end of my career, I was, I was a pretty pissed off individual. I, I, I didn't like the way this administration was dealing with the border. I had, I had just been called up to headquarters to work on the Afghanistan withdrawal. And I felt that was a huge debacle and, and was just handled poorly. Um, I didn't like how we handled COVID and, and we were demanding that everybody get, get the shot. And, uh, it, it was just, it was just a mess. The last two years that uh, I was in charge of the ICE office here in Denver. It, it was just a mess. And I decided to uh, to retire at age 50. And I thought, I'm, I'm just done. I'm just going to I'm going to leave government and I'm going to be away. And uh, I got home within two weeks. I was like, you know what? I, I raised my right hand and, and I swore an oath at 18 years old. And that oath isn't over. And I'm not done fighting for this country. And, uh, you know, I, I, I may have retired, but let's John, let's do something else. Let, let, let's get back in the fight. You had your two week rest. Let's get back in yep. the fight. And uh, at that time, I, I had jumped on was helping Steve Monahan with his campaign, the uh, the the, pr the uh, prior Republican challenger. And so I, I kind of got my nose into politics a little bit. And, um, you know, I thought Steve was a great candidate and, uh, you know, helped him as much as I could. And, uh, you know, he wasn't su successful in, in his in his bid. But uh, I decided, you know what, as, as a Republican, as a conservative, I'm going to jump in the fight and I'm going to take this chance now. And, uh, you know, I'm going to fight as hard as I can for the people because, look, I, I want to secure America. I want to secure our economy. I want to stop fraud, waste and abuse in our government because I've seen a lot of it in my 30 years. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to be able to get to Congress and uh, do the right thing. And, and I, I don't think um, Congressman Jason Crow represents our district the right way. Uh, he's totally, you know, for allowing everything that's happening at the border right now. He's not a very pro two way guy. Wasn't and, uh, he just I am. in Ukraine? 
Yeah, he was just just in in, in Ukraine. Ukraine asking for more money. And then look, if if you look at the people who are donating to him, I mean, there there there's a lot of military industrial complex stuff that's happening in the donations that 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 he's receiving. So look, you know, for 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 him to for Ukraine to keep going on, you know, his donors are are, are going to keep throwing him money. So. You know, it's uh, you know, I I want to see you, you you Ukraine come to a close and you know something happen. You know, wh- whether we have a peace treaty because too many people are dying right now. Too many young Ukrainian men are dying. We keep feeding that that country money. We're just going to see more death. Uh, you know, so, so yeah. So I, I I jumped into this knowing that there's all of these different things going on, and I you know, I wanted to be able to go to to Congress and legislate and make some changes. That's that's awesome, man. Um. I, I got your back on this one. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do love the, the idea of unseating Jason Crow because he's absolutely the worst. Um, Tell everybody your Twitter handle. Well, tell people where to find you, but especially our audience that's watching over on Twitter keeps asking what your handle is so they can follow sure. you. So. Sure. So on, on Twitter, I'm J-O-H-N-E. So John, the letter E underscore f-a-b-b so john e fab so john e underscore fab and if you, you put john fabricatory in the search you'll find me <laughs> there, there aren't many john fabricatories on on twitter but but also if if you can go to uh my congressional uh website that's uh john fab for congress j-o-h-n-f-a-b-b the number four and then congress and look, you know, one of the things that I really need is donations. I, I cannot win this race without donations coming in. And 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 look, and, and I hate even saying donations. I, I don't want you donating to me. Please invest in me. Invest in what I'm capable of. Invest in my leadership. Invest in my knowledge. And I will go to Congress and I I, I will make changes. Uh, so please, just just go on there, give me a little investment, and uh, I will definitely work my butt off for you. Right on. Awesome. John, we, thanks so we, much for being We got to do this again and and just do like a whole show, spell out exactly how this works from border to getting dumped off in Denver. Would love it, Todd. So yeah. it, people need to understand exactly how this works and what all the pieces and parts that contribute to this absolute disaster, man-made, purposeful disaster. I absolutely agree. Thanks, and I Ash. think the voters, the Colorado voters in CD6 need to ask themselves, who's better fixed to to solve the situation at the border? Jason Crow or somebody right who's, who actually knows what he's <laughs> talking about? Right. Awesome. John, thank you so much for being with us. And we'll have you back soon. Thank you. guys. Yeah. All right. So we are um, going to move into the, the 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 Golden Dome and the gender demons portion of our discussion today but before we uh before we get into it let's hear from our sponsors looks like you've been sleeping well megan he's back the my pillow guy and you're looking good still feeling good well just when you thought it couldn't get any better we've got the best pillow ever my pillow 2.0 <gasps> When I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My Pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My Pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. Now's the time to go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code to save 50% on your MyPillow 2.0. Not only that, for a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. 
feeling good. I knew you would. MyPillow.com This is a special report. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt, and terrorist attacks requires new thinking. At U.S. Asset Management, we can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. It's going to be a good day. Monday, we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. These are the times that I am discouraged about my job as a representative and also just what happens here at the Capitol. We sat in a committee all day discussing whether or not somebody that buys little children, these are two, three, four, five-year-old kids, they buy them for sex, that we tried to get a bill through, Representative Bradley sent one through, that was going to put these buyers in jail. Right now, most of the time, they get off on probation, almost all the time, they get off on probation after buying a child and raping a little child. And we tried to say, well, they need to at least serve a minimum of four years. And then we sat and listened to the Democrats fight against this bill, fight against putting these people in jail, and came up with all kinds of reasons, including that these buyers are victims themselves. This is very discouraging, and it's also very disgusting for me that they would actually defend this. And then they voted completely along party lines. The Democrats voted 100% that they did not want to put these pedophiles in jail. They defended the pedophiles. This is why it's so difficult sometimes to do what we do around here. We know we're on the side of right, we know we're on the side of morality, and we get shot down by, I do not understand the thought process behind this, but we do get shot down. This is why I would encourage you to do a few things to help us with this. First, if you believe in prayer at all, please pray. We are fighting truly dark forces here. This is not okay, this is evil stuff that we're dealing with. And if you have the ability to come up and testify on, on bills or anything like this, please do so. Your voice is very important to what we're trying to accomplish around here. We are the minority, but with you, we become a powerful voice. All right. Welcome back, everyone. And welcome to our guest uh, for the second half of the show, Representative Scott Bottoms, who has gone viral. Last I checked, it was close to three million across a very small handful of accounts, three million views on that video right there. And uh, it was quite the week for gender bills and bills attacking children um, just this this past week in session. Representative Bottoms, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, how are you? How are you enjoying your uh, newfound attention for speaking the truth? Well, first, thank you for uh, letting me be here. I, I appreciate what both of you do on a regular basis. I think this is huge. Um, the, this newfound fame, I, you know, I, I don't, 
it's not like anybody's standing at the at my front door talking to me about this. I, I do appreciate this though. I yeah. I mean, I've been doing a lot of extra shows and things like that, but but here's the thing that gets me is you know, I've been saying the same stuff for 30 years. So the fact that something like this goes viral, I see this as very providential. I see it as a as a God thing that that uh, this is getting out there because this needs to be known. And and I think that uh, God is making a way for this because of because of the truly evil forces that we're fighting against. This is this is craziness. Well, it is truly evil forces. We're told, um, you know, broadly on the national media and certainly here in, in Colorado local media that there is no attack on children. We're all just bigots. We don't understand, you know, that these are just natural progressions of things. And anybody saying that, they, you know, that there is an attack on children. I want to read just a, a list of bills that are open right now. Uh, 24053 racial equity study, which includes social and health equity in the language of the bill. 049 silences voices on content of libraries via, via a new committee. And that's, of course, talking, I believe, about the books in, in libraries and making it bigoted to say that you don't want young children, middle school or elementary school age children to be reading gay porn. Right. Uh, like the 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 gender queer or this book is gay. Uh, 1017 bill, right. Bill of rights for foster youth. We saw that debated this week. We'll talk a little bit about that. 1025 implement fertility coverage for health plans. 1039 non-legal name changes. 1040 gender affirming a care health care provider study. 1071 name change to conform <clears throat> with gender identity. 1072 Protection of victims of sexual offenses, which is actually the opposite. If you read the book, uh, the bill, it's protecting the the the, the predators, not the victims yes. of sexual assault. Eleven oh one, empower victims through accessing restorative justice. That again, by victims, they mean the predators. And as you said in yes. your video, the predators, they you know all oh, hurt people, hurt people. So we need to protect these predators and not hold them accountable for continuing to hurt people. And 1170 rights for uh, youth division of youth services facilities. Who knows what they're going to try to cram through again, you know, in addition to this in the end of the session. But it certainly seems like people who don't want to lose parental rights, who want to protect our children and children broadly, including those in foster care, that we are, uh, you know, consistently gaslit, that we're raising flags for no reason, <clears throat> just a bunch of hysterical bigots. But there's a, a, a dozen or more bills focused on exactly what we're raising flags about. How do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, so th this is, uh, I try to get this this message out as much as I can. What people think is the um, is what we do in the Capitol, what people think the Democrat Party used to be, what people think that, you know, we're going up there to discuss taxes and stuff like that. I did run the... Uh, try to lower the income tax bill. It was defeated in, in committee, but that's not really the main focus of what we're doing as a, as a legislative body right now. We are, we are watching this complete all out war by the Democrat party on children, specifically children having to attack the uh, parental rights. One of the bills that you mentioned, we just did Friday, which is the, uh, it was, it was called the non-legal name change, but basically what it was, was to let children, uh, in school, if they want to change their sexual identity, they want to change their their terminology, their naming for that or whatever. But the bill focused on the fact that parents did not have the right to know they were doing this, that the school was going to keep them from knowing this, 
that the teachers were going to keep parents from knowing this. Well, federal law says parents need to be involved in every step of the process. Colorado has become so dark and so evil that they are actually attacking federal law when it comes to children in public schools. And it's just they 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 hate children. They hate the innocence of children. The the uh, video that that you played earlier about this, they were defending pedophiles. We sat there and listened to them Friday on three different bills defend the criminals. The criminals are the good guys. The sexual predators are the good guys. And the two representatives that ran one of the bills Friday, which was 1039, they actually said the children do not belong to the parents. The children belong to the state and to the schools. You do not have a right over these children. We can do what we want to do. This is this is a, this is an all-out war on parents and on children. I have two questions. Who are the reps that said that? Do you do you remember? The, uh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> the uh, the reps that said that <laughs> were was a uh, representative V Hill, which is uh, Colorado Springs, with me, yeah. and then a uh, representative Totone. and uh, and one of them has even has said they'll never have children, but they have the right to tell me that my children don't belong to me. And then the biggest thing about the bill was they were then forcing teachers, principals, counselors, whoever to lie. I just put out another video a, few, a couple of days ago about this, of my my response to this bill. And, and I, I think it's better than the other video I did, but trying to say, no, you cannot make us lie. That is, China makes people lie. Russia makes people lie. North Korea makes people lie. The United States of America, we not only have free speech, but we also have the right to say, no, you cannot force my speech. And that's what that's what is happening. It's happening in every single bill right now. My my second question, and this is the one that 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 might open the can of worms, is why? Why are they doing this? Why does the Democratic caucus in that body want to harm children, claim them as wards of the state and protect those that would harm them? Pedophiles, predators. Why are they doing this? Well, there's um, <clears throat> so I've obviously processed this question a lot of different times, and I don't mind opening the can. Yes, I, let's um, do it. Uh, here's here's part of the reason. Okay, this really is a straight, um, unadulterated Marxist agenda. Uh, I, I even said this in um, my church service this morning. So, so you guys don't know, I'm not just a representative; I'm also a pastor. And um, and and I said this. This is. The countries that we've seen do this, where they separate the children from the adults, and they actually put enmity between the children and adults, this is Marxism. They do this so that they can control the next generation. We saw this in the Cultural Revolution in China. We, yeah. We've seen that this is this is literally what the brown shirts of, yeah. of World War II, Hitler's yeah. brown shirts, this is what they were created to do. Yeah, the Nazis um, indoctrinated just, kids too. Yep. Yes, they separated the kids, took them to camps, did all this stuff, and pretty soon the adults were the bad guys, and they and the kids were singing songs to the ultimate leader that they were praising like they were praising God. I mean, this is a bizarre mentality. Um, I just got through reading the Gulag Archipelago again, and and it's the same thing. He talks about that all through this, that if you can separate the children from the adults, you can control the entire next generation. And that's what they're doing is they, and this is why all the gender mentality, the gender uh, confusion, and they are telling children, you're confused. 
The children aren't confused. They're telling them they're confused. Right. When you tell them that enough, then eventually that becomes the, uh, the, the accepted ideology. And I have to throw this out here too. And I know this is going to get me very popular with a lot of people, but here's, here's what I think is the biggest thing. So when Trump said that he was going to drain the swamp of Washington, I believe that what he was primarily talking about was not necessarily the political stuff. That's part of it. But I think what he was primarily talking about is the complete evil and pedophilia that is so rampant through Washington, D.C. and elected officials. And the only other place that it's that strong is in uh, Hollywood. So you got both sides um, and they're both the, the, the borders of our country that are yeah. leftist mentalities. And, the, and pedophilia is so rampant. That's the whole Epstein thing, right? Well, I think, it, I think it has invaded all the way into Colorado. And I don't know who's involved, and I'm definitely not pointing fingers. But I think part of the reason that, that there is such a strong defense of this pedophilic mentality is because we're going to see probably, I think, as soon as next year, we're going to see some bills come through that are actually saying, um, let's change the age of consent for sexuality yeah. down to 12. Well, guys, yeah, I, that is pedophilia. That Wasn't is the entire purpose, in my view. That is the entire purpose of the gender kids movement. The trans yes. kids movement is to destroy the age of consent, remove it, get it out of here, because, you know, let's let's make it legal for us to do whatever we want to these kids. And the foster, the agenda towards the foster kids, I think, is um, particularly sinister. Um, we know these people are recruiting. It's obvious that they're recruiting. Yes. But um, I think most people in Colorado that are watching think, well, why can't we, you know, fight this in the state house? And there's, you know, discussions to be had about the balance of power and, you know, the small number of Republicans that we have. But I think a, a more important and, and in line with, you know, this being straight up Marxism, a more important um, reason why debate on this is theater is the weaponization of the language as it pertains to the rules. I'm going to play this clip. Um, now I've sped this up. Because, uh, you know, it's it, you can see this is um, Representative Kendegraff and he's trying to make an argument and you can tell he's having to choose his words very carefully and he's having to dance around certain concepts to be able to have the, the to make the point that he wants yeah. to make. And he gets, you know, gaveled down. He gets corrected. I think this is really important. And it really I mean, it, it is like I said, it's, it's at one point five speed because we don't have a ton of time. But this this to me we don't have representation in this state house. If our representatives are not allowed to speak on our behalf and represent our interests under the golden dome, we don't have debate. It's all theater. Uh, I'm going to play this and I want to get your, your reaction to that. Oh, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality and the consequences of ignoring reality. As we already know, as we've already seen in various in various arenas, literally sometimes an arena, is that there is a stark physical difference between the homogametic and the heterogametic. Representative DeGraff, I will need you to bring it back to an argument within the confines of L6. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm talking about the safety of the individuals that are in this. And we fog this in this, in this, in this confusion. And I'm trying to be careful in my wording. We're, we're fogging this in this confusion around this idea of gender. Representative DeGraff, if I could offer a caution. If we could not make generalizations in regards to how one may identify, even if 
we're having a conversation on gender as being inherently dangerous, I would encourage you to stay away from that as that is a generalization. So if that might help with your argument, please allow it to do so. Thank you, Madam Chair. It is difficult since that word is populated throughout. Since it is populated throughout. But what we have is the reality is that we have, we have a bill and when you say, and when we say that, when the sponsor says this is not big government asking for us, Department of Youth Services is big, big government asking for this, and we know, and the problem, and, and despite whatever whatever's being said, this is all caps, this is all new, and this is all being. So, Representative DeGraff is not uh, a, a man that often fumbles over his words. He's very well spoken. No. He's 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 brilliant, right? Yeah. Br- very knowledgeable, very well spoken. But when you're tossed into a uh, into an environment where the rules are determined and enforced by a bunch of Marxists, you get don't talk about don't mention the word gender in a bill about gender. Right. Yeah, this is so. So I'm sitting there watching uh, Representative DeGraff do this. And uh, Ken and I are very good friends. We talk about this. We ride together every day to the Capitol. We talk about this stuff. Uh, it is it is so difficult to talk truth in that room when they've taken all the words of truth out. Now, in that same bill, I I did get to give what I believe was the speech that I wanted to give. I said everything that I wanted to say, which was interesting because they usually shut me down right right now because I and I know this is part of the reason. OK, I sued the governor and the speaker of the House for shutting me down. And so they are very hesitant to gavel me right now. But they go after Ken like crazy. They they every time every time Representative DeGraff walks up there, they cringe because he's going to say what he needs to say. And 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 he, here's part of the thing. He's the smartest guy in the room. There's no doubt about it. in that whole house. He's the smartest guy. And uh, and some of the times they don't know what he's saying. <laughs> That's why they gavel him, because like when he says heterogametic and homogametic, most of the people in that house don't have a clue what those two words mean. So they're like, ah, stick to the bill. Well, that's exactly what that's exactly what the bill's about. But uh, yeah, they try to shut us down. I I I really worked hard at making sure that what I said about this same bill, because I knew I knew they were going to do this to us. We we had been we've been work, working on this for a while. But I basically told them I think this whole thing is a farce. I think the word gender is a farce. Now now Representative DeGraff said the same thing. And they gaveled him. Um, but like I said, they're they're giving me some leeway right now because. I sued them. So the, the, this is the reality. I, I told him this whole gender thing's a joke. It was created by a guy in the six. It doesn't even mean anything. There is male and female XXXY. That's it. Um, there is all this stuff about dead naming and misgendering. That is a big lie of control. And I said it from the well, you cannot use that against me because I do not accept it. You can try but I'm still a free person representing 100,000 people. You will not use your terminology and expect me to just embrace it. But it's it's difficult for Ken this session because they just they come after him every single time he gets up. Specifically, if the speaker, if it's on thirds and the speaker of the house is up there, when he walks up, she reaches for the gavel. She's not going to let him say hardly anything. And she's going to shut him down because this is not a free speech state anymore that is not a free speech house and they control the language so badly uh it it is it's horrifying that's a a 
uh, indicator of what's actually going on because where we send our representatives to represent our interests, to debate, engage in robust civic debate, and to determine what needs to be done yeah. for the people of Colorado for, for you know, from a legal standpoint, from a legislative standpoint, and they're controlling the very ability of our representatives to to bring arguments that represent our interests. It's sinister. I um told this story last night, but I think uh, I, I, th I really want to get your take on this. Um, last night on Raising a Nation, we were we were talking about some of the gender stuff and particularly Colorado and, and your um, your experiences. I was in a group chat with uh, a, a, back when chat GPT came out and somebody was trying to train their chat GPT, one of the people in this group chat, and they kept posting um, images, right? And you're, you're asking it questions. You're trying to get it to go outside of its programming. And what I noticed in, you know, two weeks of watching this guy interacting with chat GPT is that he chat GPT changed him, right? At first it was, tell me, you know, give me a summary of this issue. And by the end of two weeks, it was, you know, dear chat GPT, you know, you are so brilliant. Can you please tell me X, Y, and Z? I, I bring it up. Because I noticed some of that when I was watching the session this week, um, in particular, this right here. Madam Chair, thank you for your kind and gracious leadership. And it's an honor to serve with you. Always happy to oblige. <laughs> um, so I move L007 to House Bill 1170 and ask for a favorable recommendation of approval. So we see that from Representative Holtorf a lot. I think he's being a little tongue-in-cheek when he does it. I think that's the intention yes. of it. But the decorum in the in the in in Colorado does not go both ways. I've been called right. a bigot, a white supremacist, an insurrectionist, a terrorist. Uh, you know, I've had all sorts of things said about me by including some of those people in that state house, right? You've had the same. You've been called horrible names, gone through horrible things by these people. Yeah. But they want us to be nice to them, right? Uh, the J Jared Polis is doing this um, disagree better thing <laughs> that yeah. he keeps talking about. What is this? It's, it, it, is, it is like base gaslighting to tell us yeah. that we need to be nice to people who are really saying the most horrible things and using the levers of power in this state to bring about, you know, extra, extra governmental, extra judicial outcomes. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you think? About yeah. So, so this is, uh, so you're talking about my daily fight, right? This is what we deal with every single day. Let me give you some, a little bit of insight. So at the beginning of the session this year, the speaker of the house sent out a, a memo to both, both parties, Democrats, Republicans, and it's this whole letter explaining how we, we need to have the right uh, kind of decorum and we need to respect each other and do all this other stuff. And she sent it to all of us. I can, I can actually send you the letter if you'd like. But this is the thing. This is the same woman that shut down my free speech during special session. And that's why we sued, because she is rude and she is a liar and she controls she does not like it when somebody speaks truth. I, I do not break the rules in that house. I get accused of it, but I don't break the rules. I go by the decorum. I go by the rules. When she yells at me and tells me to leave the well because I disagreed that that the Palestinian protest was peaceful discord, that's why she that's why she kicked me out of the well. 
I leave the well. I don't, I don't sit and, and, and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I, I leave the well because I do go by the rules, but she does not. And so she's also called me anti-Semitic. In fact, there was a group of a Jewish uh, a group from Israel that came after uh, just a couple of weeks ago that, that had family members that are still hostages and stuff like that by Hamas. And they came and did the thing. She would not let them come to the house. They had to go to the Senate. She would not let them in the doors of the house because she's got uh, Democrats in there that do not like the Jews. And they've made this very clear. They're very, very anti-Semitic. There's a BDS well, she bill said, tomorrow. There's a, a, yes. a boycott, divest, and sanction bill hitting the floor, I believe, tomorrow. Yes, because because we have a bunch of there's no way others to say it. We have a bunch of Jew hating Democrats in that house. Yeah. Well, the reason she told and they're calling her anti-Semitic. <laughs> well, she told our minority leader she they because she said well because people on both sides of the aisle, and so our minority leader said who who on our side of the aisle is anti-Semitic, and she said it was me, and the reason <laughs> is because I prayed for the Jews in the name of Jesus. Therefore, so, I'm anti-Semitic. So Hernandez, with literally taking off the uh, the your little your little uh, U.S. and Colorado flag uh, mm -hmm. piece that you guys have on your desk there and in, in, on the floor, Hernandez takes off the U.S. flag, replaces it with a Palestine flag, and somehow mm -hmm. you're anti-Semitic. Uh, Eps right. up in the gallery with free, free Palestine and, 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 right. and you're anti-Semitic. Uh, what, what happened to the oath, you know, about bearing truth, faith and allegiance to same when they're literally putting a foreign, well, it's not, I, I hazard to call it a nation cause it's not uh, the, the Palestinian flag on your, on your desk. I, I mean, whose, whose side are these people people on of Thanks. course the democrats don't care about this but yeah, they're yeah they they, uh, they have that's that's actually the first reality this and i'm not saying that glibly this is a either. spiritual thing and uh and this is i could give you 10 examples but people that will fight for pedophiles to be free to continue to molest rape six-year-old kids that's evil that's demonic for when when they want to murder babies in the womb who murders their own children that's demonic i'll give you another one just to just to mess with people's heads that might be on the other side of the aisle that listen to this uh in in the new testament when jesus interacts with the gathering demoniac uh he, he says you know he's afraid of jesus he says who are you and he says we are legion all of this gender naming where they use they them I, I don't think this is coincidence. I think this goes beyond the norm. I think we're seeing, now I know some people use that just because they're, they're, they're ignorant to the big picture, but the idea that somehow this is, is not demonic is, is crazy. But the other side of it is, is these people really do hate America and they really do hate children. They really do hate families. Um, another a bill that we addressed Friday, they, they kept talking about how parents, one, you asked earlier, it was Representative Vigil. She kept talking about how she was horribly um, abused as a child. Sure, I get that. But then her argument was, that means all parents now, there might be a few, but all parents now are abusive, horrible, evil people. Well, no, they're not. And the idea that, that we somehow have decorum in that place and that we're looking out for each other and we're trying to have discourse, we're not. 
these people know they have the supermajority and they're running over every they, I would like to say they're running over us as Republicans. We're just we're just the people in the room. They're running over the people of Colorado and they are destroying. They're destroying the economy. They're destroying parental rights. They're destroying public education. They're destroying everything. And they do this because they, we cannot stand in their way. Absolutely. Well, we are um, out of time. So uh, I want I want to ask you one last question and then I want you to tell everybody where they can find you. My last question is, do you think reality is going to reassert itself at some point? Because it's gotten pretty, pretty crazy down in the state. I, I could I mean, I've watched for three years now, not every session, you know, every every meeting of the of the um, <clears throat> committee of the whole. But I've watched a lot of them. And this this 2024 session appears to be jumping the shark early. Do you think that we're going to have reality reassert itself or some at some point, or should um, should we move? Well, all the way to move. Um, uh, so, so here's what I think about this. I really, we've actually had some conversation. Not all of the Democrats on the other side are just crazy. They're not, and some of them really don't like some of these bills that are coming through. But they are they are forced by the governor to vote a certain way and they are forced by their party to vote a certain way but i don't really have a lot of respect for that because if somebody can force you that's that's still you making the decision but they have told us that they know they're losing the supermajority probably in the next election uh, they're going to lose seats and i think they're going to lose quite a few assuming our elections are, are fair and so i i just think they know that they know they're going for everything. They've told us this. They're going for everything. So I think the ship is going to ride itself a little bit. And you are awesome. House District 15 in El Paso yes. County. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have a primary challenger? Uh, not that I know of. I have a I have a, a general um, challenger, but yeah, I don't I don't have a primary that I know of. Uh, website uh, Pastor Scott. For HD15, that's F-O-R, not the number four. Pastor Scott for HD15.com. Uh, you're 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 the best right. man, and I'm I'm proud to call you one of my uh one of my partners in the party down here. Yeah, you guys are both awesome. You're doing a good job. Just keep speaking it, keep speaking it, no matter what happens. Likewise. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, everybody. Well, that is our show for the day. Uh, it should be an interesting day in the legislature again this week. Um, as as uh, Representative Bottom said, they are they are going for everything, which requires vigilance by all of us. We appreciate you guys uh, for watching, for tuning in today. We'll be back here next week. Uh, Todd, any final words? So he said they're not all crazy. We 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 have to prove it. Get what we have to get to the ones that that have some some shred of ethos left and get them and convince them to stand you know with the with the rest of society really not this fringe radical demented uh element that seems to be driving this ship Agreed. All right, everybody, we will see you back here next week. Um, if you want to want to jump over in uh, an hour, I am going to be over on Badlands Media. We're we're talking about cyber today and um, all the all the kind of crazy indicators we're getting from a cyber standpoint. That is coming up in an hour over on Badlands. Otherwise, we'll see you guys back here next week. Have a great, absolutely great, phenomenal week, everyone. Cheers. Ciao.